three, two, one. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everybody, to episode 155 of the No Normal Show, brought to you by Revive. This is where we leave all things status quo, traditional, old school and boring in the dust and celebrate the new, the powerful, the innovative, the future, all related to how brands can lead the way in health. I'm your co-host, Chris Bevelo, Chief Brand Officer at Revive. I'm joined by co-host Stephanie Wirwill. SVP of Integrated Marketing at Revive. Hello, Stephanie. Hello, hello, Chris. Welcome, 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 as always. We also have with us our show's producer and Revive's brand and growth coordinator, Luke McCandless. Hello, Luke. Hey, Chris. Thank you for being here. Thank you for helping us get this get this out in the in the vapors. We are missing Des Duncan who's our regular co-host. She is on the road, so not with us. So we're going to move forward without her. Uh, We have a great show to talk about the number one issue facing many of our clients, uh, which is workforce, which is recruitment, which is retention, which is uh, all the things that we hear and see in the news uh, in our industry. And we're going to talk a little bit about the impact on marketing communications and the opportunity as we see it for those of us in marketing communications to do something about a very, very complex, widespread problem. But first, let's talk about another complex, widespread problem. I don't know if it's a problem. <laughs> uh, it's definitely complex and it's definitely widespread uh, and extraordinarily important to talk about. And that is the Johnny Depp. Amber Heard trial. That's right. who wants to go first. I know Luke, you and Stephanie both, I think, have spent some time with this. I'm just catching up. Stephanie, you go first. Yeah, sure. Okay. I'm like on the edge of my seat here. Well, you can't open the internet right now without seeing it. Um, and being the celeb gossip followers that we are in the show. <laughs> course, we're talking about it. Um, So, you know, if you're not following the trial, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard were married and they both are countersuing each other. There's there's allegations of domestic abuse. There's allegations of defamation, of lots of money lost from all the deals that did or did not um, go away due to all the arguments that were public. And there's a lot more nuances than that, but you know, it's live 24 seven. I think they're going on their sixth week. It's going to finish up this week. So, um, I was just checking earlier and it was live on YouTube with over a million watchers live. Like it is, it's like daytime TV. This is daytime TV right now happening. That's my overview. I'll pause. Luke, are you watching this? Are you watching the trial either live or like after the fact? You know, I think when this trial first started, I was following it pretty closely. I was definitely intrigued. But after a couple of weeks, it started being every other TikTok live that popped up on my feed. And eventually I just kind of became like, all right, this is this is kind of old news. But I do check in from time to time to follow it. And of course, all I'm seeing on social media is the highlights from 
the testimonials, um, Amber Heard's legal team questioning Johnny Depp on the stand. So there's definitely some interesting and entertaining pieces of this trial for sure. But I think overall takeaway for me is that these two people should have never been together and probably should not be <laughs> together at all. So, well, I, so first of all, I've not been following this though. I've been following the, that there's buzz. Like I know that there's buzz. I know people talk about it, but I just haven't wanted to get into it. Um, maybe a little bit of afraid that I would get stuck in it and really follow it too much. Um, and I will also say that I'm not the biggest Johnny Depp fan. Like I know he's, he's superstar, like I think I could care less about the Pirates of Caribbean movies, um, Edward Scissorhands. Eh. Like I know people love it. Um, he just was, he just never did it for me. Amber Heard, I don't know from a hole in the wall. I don't know anything she's done. <laughs> so that's probably why I'm not as interested. I am more interested though in hearing about the response to it because I think that there's the following of the trial and the events of the trial, and then there's like a meta conversation about the response to the trial, which is actually more interesting to me because I think it's a little whack. That's what my takeaway is from the response to the trial. But I'd love to hear from you guys since you're, I think, closer to it. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. I was thinking of it like, I guess, what the O.J. Simpson trial would have been like back in the day. This is, of course, nothing on that scale in terms of the allegations. But, um, you know, celebrity, everyone loves to see the insides and the behind the closed doors of celebrity lives and lifestyles. And this is like the most juicy, you know, divorce story you could possibly ever have. And then on top of it, you have the power negative, both, well, negative of social media where everyone has sided with one side, Johnny, and are viciously attacking Amber at every single tiny move, how she wears her hair, what she wore that day, how she looked, what, what where she looks, who she looks at, her lawyers. I mean, just completely ripping her apart. So yes, it has turned into a nightmare of social media. Is that your take, Luke, too? Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, people who are Johnny Depp fans, I think, have a hard time separating themselves from all of his characters that he's played that everyone's fallen in love with, with the, the Captain Jack Sparrows and Willy Wonka. So I think people have a hard time understanding the reality of who people really are when they're not in character. So that's what I yeah. think. Yeah. And the nostalgia factor, the familiarity factor. We grew up with Johnny Depp, right? Like a lot of people grew up with Johnny Depp. You, you like Willy Wonka, so you're familiar with him, and so therefore there's no that, there's that love. Wait, wait, what? Wait. Time out, time out. Johnny Depp is not Willy Wonka. Yeah, Willy Wonka is. Oh God! Oh, the, there's two versions of Willy Wonka. Yes, it depends which version. There's no, no, <laughs> no, okay. no. There is Willy Wonka, and then there's a remake. Yes, there's two versions, but come on. Like, the original with Gene Wilder is, is like, way up here. And then you got whatever, this version, too, which was okay. But it's funny that that's your reference to – that makes me Well, sad, you sound so. like a psychiatrist who came on who was an expert two days ago, and um, they asked him, oh. did you watch Willy Wonka? And – he made all these funny facial expressions. Was like, no, 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 I didn't. And that got picked up as a meme. And the poor guy, the psychiatrist who had an amazing, in my opinion, stage presence, so unfiltered, 
people went and trolled him and gave him one-star reviews as a psychiatrist on his health system page. And now he's all over the news and hated for being an expert witness. So <laughs> see, see, so this is the part that drives me nuts because I, I did take time to read a story on this yesterday and the story was very slanted toward what the bleep these are people supporting a, an abuser. Like he's an abuser. It's, it's not even really even in debate. I think because there was a, there was some kind of trial or something happened overseas where the, where the bar for defamation is, is way higher. I can't remember whatever it was. The ruling from the court was, Oh, there's clearly evidence of abuse here. Like that's not even a, a question. So he still may win this, this defamation suit, but the, this reminds me so much of, I was sharing with you guys before the show, something called Gamergate, where a number of years ago, uh, a woman who's a, who's a influencer on, in the video game industry, who she's a, she's a um, celebrity or whatever, um, she came out and talked about a lot of the vitriol that women face when they're playing games online, right? So they... If, you, if you've ever played games, I'm a huge video gamer. I don't play with other people because I don't want to hear all their terrible stuff. But if, like, my daughters play, they'll get shit online just for being a woman. Um, and she came out and spoke out against it. And the blowback and the campaign against her was the news story. That's the Gamergate. Not that she said this, but that people doxed her, swatted her house, death threats i mean she i think she was maybe a she might have been a journalist i can't remember um but what they did to her and the storm that was raised against her was horrifying and here she is trying to say like it's kind of like amber heard right um this person abused me and now we have you know the populi out there abusing her yeah because she's spoken up. Well, it depends on which side. But is that is that an exaggeration? No, it just depends on which side you ask of which perspective you'll get. And to be fair, we still don't know the truth of what happened between them. But I agree with you that that's not for us to decide. But what is interesting is looking at the swirl of attention and what it causes. Good yeah. times. Good times. Well, <coughs> hopefully the trial will be done soon. Then we can move on. <laughs> How, how much more does it have to go? It's been they, going forever. They said it should be done by Memorial Day. So they are counting down the minutes. Oh. Maybe by the time this podcast hits, we'll I doubt it. And the jury will go it. into deliberation. <laughs> All right. Well, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, I guess we'll follow up once we know the answer. There'll probably be appeals no matter what happens, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if there can be in a civil suit, but. All right, should we move on? Yes, let's let's go on to not it. quite as not quite as a a big story, not quite as important, and that is the <laughs> the workforce issue in healthcare probably ranks below <laughs> Amber and Johnny, unfortunately. So, I, you know, what we want to do is talk about, and we touched on this a little bit a few months ago, um, but really more at a higher level and talking about brand and relationship to workforce. Uh, I think. In this discussion, we want to talk about the current state in terms of what we see, particularly from hospitals and health systems, um, for marketers and communicators related to recruitment, retention, and workforce issues. 
and then maybe our point of view on it, which which is uh, maybe different <laughs> than what a lot of marketers and communicators may think. But let's just start with everybody knows this is an issue, but let's paint a little bit of a picture. Stephanie, we we gathered some statistics. Is there one that popped out to you? There are so many. More than others? Um, I guess I'll start with some of the general ones that by 2026, so four years from now, 6 million healthcare workers will permanently leave their positions with just 1.9 million people replacing them. So doing the math, that's like 20% of what's needed. Um, big, big shortage is the bottom line. Yeah. And, and as, as everybody knows, but it's important, I think, to point out, this, this was an issue that, that, was, that was building before COVID. Um, <clears throat> but now COVID, as well as just the, the economic situation in this country, has just blown this to smithereens. So um, I think, I don't know if I have a statistic, <clears throat> but I will throw out one of the ways this is impacting the country. And that is, we know of any number of systems who are shutting down floors, they're shutting down services, they're shutting down units. These are hospitals and health systems that desperately need revenue to come back from COVID. We've seen incredible losses reported. Kaiser Permanente reporting nearly a billion dollars in losses in the first quarter of 2022, right? And they're not the only ones. And so here we have health systems that are just struggling financially and they can't even keep their full capacity because they don't, it's not because of COVID, like in 2020, um, it's not because they had to shut down because of COVID, it's because they don't have people. They don't have people to, to staff. So boy, is, is that a symbol of this problem? Yeah. And I'll add on top of that, speaking of the cost, there's the cost in terms of the lost revenue because of lack of staffing and therefore capacity. There's also the cost, obviously, of the turnover. So this massive amount of turnover leading to, you know, cost of what it takes to replace. So for example, for nurses, for a bedside nurse, $40,000 um, is the average cost of turnover and can range from almost $30,000 to $51,000. So add that up, hospitals could lose, a hospital, single hospital could lose $3.6 to $6.5 million a year just with the turnover alone. And that doesn't incorporate what you're talking about, Chris, which is the big picture, which is the cost of the lost uh, revenue and all that comes with that. Yes. Yeah. And the, I mean, the the labor prices, the traveling nurses situation where traveling nurses are getting three, five times the standard rate, um, which not only drives up costs for a hospital, but also creates all kinds of issues with the with their um, standard workforce that's not getting that. And so, so we could go on and on and on and on. I think everybody listening to this knows this is a, a massive issue. It's been listed as uh, in any number of surveys I've seen, the number one challenge cited by CEOs in this space that they're facing. And I think the truth of the matter is this is not a short-term problem. The the extreme version that we're experiencing now may be shorter term, let's say through the end of 2022, but the idea of a workforce shortage and the continual challenges 
with recruitment attention. That's not going away. That's not like once COVID goes away, that goes away. It's going to be with us for a long time and may have a massive impact on our industry in terms of who stays open, who closes, all of that. So, so that's the background. If you're a marketer or communicator in one of these communicator in one of these organizations, um, first of all, I think you have to think about what you're there to do and how all of this impacts how successful you can be. If you are there to build brand, this 100% impacts the brand experience, which is the number one driver of brand preference and, and everything else. Uh, if you're short-staffed, if you're having labor issues. If you are there to drive revenue, which you should be doing both of these things, how do you drive revenue into a unit that's closed? How do you how do you turn the faucet on in the specific places that you need it without flooding the places that can't take new patients? Uh, all of these things that are your number one priority are going to be hampered at best by this workforce issue. Anything I'm missing there, Stephanie, in terms of just, you know, how this, how this without, without their involvement at all, which we'll get to in a little bit, how this impacts the day-to-day life of a marketer communicator. Yeah. I mean, no, you, you covered it. I think the, the interesting thing is that in most, in most health systems that I would venture to say in many health organizations, actually kind of organizations in general, typically internal employee relations, um, engagement, recruitment are separate from marketing communications. But to the point you bring up, how can you be a marketer when your job is to drive people in to your doors and you have no one to service them once they're in there? So it, it makes the, the case for bringing those two functions closer together. Um, and using marketing skills uh, for internal purposes, much, much more important. Yeah. And I think that, I think the, if we, if we take a, like a pulse check on, again, hospitals and health systems, we'll just stick with those folks for now. Marketers and communicators and the role that they've played and their approach or attitude toward these issues. Uh, most of <clears throat> most of the folks we know of have have traditionally not played a very significant role in recruitment or retention. Uh, certainly with internal comms, they would have supported that if not driven it, uh, depending on you know where you sit in the Marcom organization. Uh, there might have been some support of HR in terms of advertising. Uh, but for the most part, it's a it's a very incremental role that marketing communications played, if any role. And in the conversations we've had now with this crisis in front of us, uh, most marketers don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. And the reason for that is totally understandable. Uh, they already have 647 things on their plate. They're all re- they're short staff. They're dealing with the same issues that the clinical side and the operational side is dealing with. Uh, they're also coming out of COVID. They feel beaten down they feel stretched and so this is just one more thing that's potentially on their plate that they don't have time for um or or energy for you think that's a fair statement it absolutely is and then the other part of it is at least right now or in the recent months 
the the crux of the issue that employees are saying is is pay. It's not the only issue. So we'll get into maybe some others, but that's the number one issue that's been brought up. And so, so far what's been done is a lots and lots of investments of millions of dollars in many cases toward pay. So some examples, um, Beckers has shared some examples a few months ago, um, which I'll run through this in a second. But the what I'm the reason I'm bringing this up is I think a lot of marketers and communicators are saying, is this a problem we can solve? Which is a fair question, and we would argue yes and no. Right? There are things that 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 marketing teams can certainly do and use their skills for, and then there's also the pay and the compensation side of this, which is a a bigger you know organization um, thing. I'll I'll stop there before I get into details of who's invested what, but. Any reactions to that? Yeah, I think this is the way I, this is the way we see it, and that is we understand why this would be seen as like a stay as far away from me as you can kind of attitude from marketing communications, given everything else they have going on. Uh, but we see a massive opportunity here for marketers to add value in ways that they haven't before, and it's very similar to me to how marketers can embrace things like the consumer experience or pricing or technology in their organizations far beyond what they've been asked to or able to in the past, the more that they can, they can take a leadership role in those areas, the more value they're going to bring and the more valued they will be. And I think workforce is right there, but we're, it's so fresh and so raw that I think most folks would not see it that way and might want to like throw a sharp object at me for saying that. Uh, but there's a real opportunity here to get in and have a, a massive influence on your workforce, which is after all the number one component of your brand experience. So that's our high level perspective. That's right. We have more. We have more. But do you want to do you want to share a little bit of some of the things we're seeing out there, yes. Stephanie, in terms of how people are trying to address? I this? will. So again, right now, it's it's a problem that dollars are being thrown at, which is a, a fair way to start. Um, so, for example, Novant Health, which is Winston Salem based, um, North Carolina based uh, health system, invested forty million into PTO or cash rewards for staff. There's dozens of other health systems that have taken this approach. Um, you know, Mayo, Mayo Clinic Health System, um, UC Health, Texas Hospitals, and even to the point where the governor of New York announced a $10 billion investment uh, in healthcare in this very problem, which breaks down to $2 billion for healthcare wages, $2 billion for healthcare and mental hygiene, worker retention bonuses, cost of living adjustments, infrastructure, and so on and so forth. So at the moment, it's a it's a dollars game. And I think what's really interesting is there has been, since these investments, some discussion around, is it working? Um, and I think the answer has been yes, but also wait and see. So one success story was Centura Health, which invested more than $176 million in its employees since March 2021, so kind of mid-pandemic. And they said that since then, turnover rates down by 12% for all positions, more than 15% for nurses, vacancy rates have declined. Um, so they're seeing some positivity. I think the thing, and this is just, I guess, my personal opinion, is dollars may solve things in the short term, 
they're probably not the long-term solve because what we're seeing is a bit of a sea change in what people are wanting and the whole industry and burnout and, and dollars are definitely a good first step, but it's not the whole picture. And what's interesting too is I've seen some stories and maybe anecdotes where it's it's actually shifting the industry. So for example, because hospitals are offering sign-on bonuses, private practices are having more trouble than ever keeping people employed um, because they don't have the same amount of, of leeway. So it's like people are just, you know, changing positions and remains to be seen how long dollars can keep us afloat. Yeah. So, so I, I totally agree with all that. Stephanie. I think like it makes sense that people are throwing dollars at it. Um, but eventually it's just a battle of attrition and, and folks are just going to, you know, you're stealing people arriving from Peter to pay Paul it, it, from an industry perspective. Right. Um, which may not end well for a lot of people. If we're, if we're thinking about this from a Marcom perspective, I think there's some realities. The first is, and this is just from our exposure to this and talking to people, you're talking to our clients, talking to, to folks at, at conferences and things. The first is um, a lot of organizations, there seems to be a lack of leadership on this. Uh, there's just, there's initiatives everywhere. There's stuff flying everywhere. Um, you think this would be like a chief, human resources officer or chief people officer or whoever. Um, but it seems like it's not, it doesn't have, even though it's named as the number one challenge by CEOs, it doesn't have the focus and energy. The other thing is the reality is there is a thousand and one things going on. There's so much happening within organizations. That's maybe why there feels like there's a lack of leadership. Um, and that's that can be a challenge if you're trying to trying to get in there and, and support things from marketing and communication standpoint. And the other one, obviously, is uh, this is not the natural purview for marketing, right? This is not where folks would expect you to be. This is an operational issue. Why are you in this meeting? Why do you have something to say about it? Uh, and so all of those, I think, are real. They're pretty widespread across most organizations. Uh, and you just have to know what you're getting into uh, in terms of those. But the flip side, what we'd say is, look, you have a ton to offer in this space. Marketers are trained, uh, have experience in, and are focused on understanding things from the audience point of view. This is just a different audience than we normally deal with, right? We normally deal with <clears throat> consumers, patients, maybe referring physicians. Now we're talking about potential employees or current employees. So think about the expertise you bring in data and analytics, um, understanding targeting and segmentation, uh, understanding how to message appropriately, how to bring creativity into the challenge to help solve for things. And even your understanding of brand and how to build a brand and how that could be employed in terms of a, an employer brand. Um, all of those things, our guess is, would add tremendous value to what's going on. So that's the opportunity. Yeah. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the job of marketing is what do people want and how can we give it to them? <laughs> so the research side, I think, is really fascinating, which is what do our employees actually need or want or say they want, but actually need at the end of the day? Yes, money is a part of it, but what else is it? And it's not pizza parties and it's not, you know, celebrations telling them that they're a hero. Um, there's actually real things here. And so with that backdrop, what what 
can we offer them as an organization? So that's the key problem to be solved, um, just to boil it down. And that's where, you know, marketing is very well suited. Yeah. Yeah. So we would, we would encourage you, this might take some time. (laughs) We encourage you to try to come to a perspective or a mindset where this is seen less as a, holy crap, how are we supposed to deal with this? Or maybe you're not even being asked to help deal with it and you're trying to stay away from it as long as possible to come around to a point of view that is, hey, there's something real we can do here. We can really help our organization. Let's figure out how to get in there and add the value we know we we can add. Because as with other things that we've mentioned, if you can add that type of value you yourselves will just become more valued, which is which is ultimately what you want in your organization. Yeah. One more thing this makes me think about, and Chris, I'd love to hear your perspective on this, but the the job of marketing also is to say what tools and technologies can we use or leverage to help this problem. And I just can't help but think if we look out, not bet this year, but at the next five to 10 years, and if we see this being a significant long-term issue where we have reduced workforce, at the same time, we will see increases in AI, which the other side of that story is there's a reduction in the, in the needs of some of the jobs we have today due to AI or a change of those jobs. And and some and what we know to be true, at least in current predictions around healthcare, are, is that technology like AI can actually help make some jobs better, easier, more efficient. Not to take them away, but to change them and to make them, you know, easier. So that's more true for you know maybe like the imaging side of things than it is for a bedside nurse. But it just makes me think if if a marketer's job is to say how can we use all the tools in our toolbox then compiling this problem with what, you know, the future of the landscape, technological, technological and societal landscape is a really interesting lens. It is. It, it's, I, I think the way I think about it, Stephanie is the true impact of that is still so far off that it probably can't help us solve the issue that we're facing today. In fact, the way I would think about it is because maybe I sometimes lean to the cynical side of things is just when we get to a point somewhere down the road that this workforce issue balances out, maybe tips the other way, right? Just when we're at a point where it's like, wow, you know, if I'm a nurse for the next three years, five years, six years, I can have any job I want. At some point it'll tip, right? It'll be like, oh, well, it's competitive again. (laughs) Then AI will hit. (laughs) And it'll make it hard to find a job if you're in healthcare. I don't know. That's maybe a really dystopian view, but um, whatever the case, I think it'll be unfortunately too far down the road for that technology to come in and really save the day for the crisis that we're facing right now. I don't know. Yeah, it's not a today problem by any means. That seems fair. It's not a today yeah. a t- today problem, nor is it a today solution. But I don't know. I think it's important and interesting to look at things in terms of what's coming in the future and what can we start to plan for. So of course we got to stop the bleeding first. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. We're going to be revisiting this um, topic again, because it, it is the number one issue we're facing in healthcare uh, for many of our clients. So uh, we'll probably be coming at it in, in deeper ways with, with more 
specific strategies and approaches, but we want to at least get the conversation kicked off. So uh, maybe by the time we come back, the Amber Heard and Giant Depp trial will be over. Yeah. We'll see. We can we can get the solution to that first. <laughs> the answer to the... I, that hopefully will be... Yes, I assume that's an easier solution, <laughs> yeah. but who knows? All right. Well, Stephanie, thank you as always for joining. Thank you. Good times. Luke, thank you. Thank you for your in-depth Amber Johnny analysis and all your help. My pleasure. Thank you. Everybody joined us. Thank you so much. Please shoot us an email at nonormal at reviveagency.com if you would like us to cover something. Uh, make sure you share the show with your friends, your colleagues. Give us a nice rating or review, hopefully nice on iTunes, but we'll take any feedback you want to give us. All that's appreciated. Uh, until next time, do not be satisfied with the no normal. Put, no, don't be satisfied with the normal. My screen cut off. So so don't be satisfied with the normal. Push Important the distinction. Right? <laughs> it is important. Thanks for joining. We'll talk to you next time. Three, two, one.